thought as an instructional designer, it was certainly my responsibility to make sure that course material was accessible. And my, my dream was always to create an online course where somebody with a disability did not have to disclose that they had a disability. They could just go through the course and take the course with everybody else and hopefully not even have to ask for accommodations because everything was proactively made accessible to them. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hi, Brad. Good morning, Tiffany. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Awesome. It's been a while since we've recorded together. and You usually open with I'm, a song. Are you going to do that today? A song. Actually, my guests volunteered to open with a song. Oh, yes. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I do two voice lessons. <laughs> oh, my goodness, Ray. I think we're going to switch up our get, getting to know you questions. Today on the podcast, we have an awesome opportunity to invite another duo. We love this. We love when when the duo of Brad and Tiffany gets joined by another duo. And today it's Ray Mancia and Barbara Fry. Ray Mancia is the Assistant Director of the Office of Online Learning for the School of Health and Rehabilitation Services, where she oversees the development of all new online and hybrid programs. Ray leads the instructional design team and serves as a liaison with program directors across the school. She also manages the quality review process, specializing in the areas of copyright, digital accessibility, and program evaluation. Ray is an active instructional designer, educator, and scholar with over 15 years experience in instructional design, curriculum development, project management, and assessment. She holds a master's of science degree in education and teaching English as a second language and a doctoral degree in instructional technology and leadership. Her research interests include the professional development of instructional designers, digital accessibility, and program evaluation. Ray is co-editor of Guide to Digital Accessibility, Policies, Practices, and Professional Development, published by Quality Matters and Stylus. She is also a certified peer reviewer of online courses for Quality Matters, bilingual peer evaluator for the Middle States Commission for Higher Education, an invited scholar for the International Board of Standards for Training, Performance and Instruction, and a Quality Matters research colleague. Barbara Fry is an assistant professor with the School of Education at Point Park University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and an instructional design consultant with the University of Pittsburgh. She is also an active Quality Matters facilitator, master reviewer, and research colleague. Throughout her career, Barbara has collaborated with hundreds of faculty on the design and development of traditional, online, hybrid, and massive open online courses. Her work has resulted in award-winning programs, including several Blackboard Catalyst Awards. She has served as a peer evaluator for the Middle States Commission for Higher Education. Barbara is co-author of the book, Distinctive Distance Education Design, Models for Differentiated Instruction. In addition, she has published numerous book chapters and scholarly articles in the Journal of Applied Instructional Design, Journal of Asynchronous Learning Networks, Journal on Excellence in College Teaching, Tech Trends, and the International Journal of Information and Communication Technology Education. Most recently, she co-authored The Guide to Digital Accessibility, Policies, Practices, and Professional Development. Please join us on the Digital to Learn podcast as we welcome our guests, Barbara Fry and Ray Mancia. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you, Brad. And welcome, Barbara. Oh, it's nice to be here. Thank you. 
Uh, I'm actually not going to make you sing a song, but if you feel compelled at any time, you do have our permission to break out in song, Ray. We're going to start with a little bit different, though, getting to know you questions. Sounds good. Good. As mentioned, we love having two guests on the show because it allows us to gain some different perspectives on really tough questions. Imagine you both decide to go see a movie. You can see that this is a very tough question. Imagine you both decide to go see a movie separately. What genre do you go see and why? And we'll start with you, Ray. I would definitely go see an action movie. I love a fast plot line, something mindless for me, (laughs) and a movie that has a sequence, a trilogy or a movie with a sequel. So what fits into that category for you? What's an example of that kind of movie? Well, over the holiday break, we began to watch The Hunger Games in my house, and we're very happy to be able to go to the movies and see the newest (laughs) Hunger Game, as well as the movies on Amazon Prime. So that was um, a treat to be able to watch one after another. Cool. (laughs) How about you, Barbara? I'm a little different. I like those romantic comedies. I just like to relax. I want something light and something funny. But I did, over the break, I did binge The Crown and The Gilded Age. So those are both historical dramas, which I really enjoyed. Excellent. Wow. Unfortunately, our podcast uh, does not resemble the category of that action-packed trilogy or the romantic comedy, but we'll do our best to be entertaining, maybe with some live music from Ray. I would hate to disappoint. (laughs) Okay, we're going to put you in a time warp. And imagine you just graduated from high school, and yet you have all of the knowledge you currently have in your head, but no degree. What college degree would you pursue, given that situation? Barb, do you want to go first? Okay, I'm really happy with how my career unfolded in instructional design, and I would certainly consider an instructional design degree again. But whatever I did, it might be advertising or marketing, whatever it is, it has to be something creative that lets me just come up with new ideas, try new things, take risks, all those characteristics. So so as a creative person, do you find sometimes when you blurt out an idea, people look at you sideways and wonder what you Yes, Yes, I certainly do. And it starts with my family. (laughs) All right. How about you, Ray? Like you, Barbara, I also am very happy with the career that I've had in instructional design. And it has gravitated more toward online administration in the past years. So if I were going to pursue another degree, which I have no intention to, it would be in higher education administration. Um, I think that information, those skills would complement what I currently do. And in retrospect, if I look back on my life, I would say that many of the leadership and administrative tendencies began with being the oldest of six children and the third or fourth generation of being the oldest daughter in the family. So I've always had to lead and prioritize and um, balance many activities and people. So I do think I would go back for higher ed administration if I could. Cool. Both of you would choose the same careers. That is awesome. 
I think you'll find that a lot of design professionals are lifelong learners. So that is something that we are afforded in the field of instructional design. We get to learn a lot about the fields and the faculty that we work with. I would consider myself an honorary physical therapist now. <laughs> I've been practice, but I've learned a lot about it over the years. And I think from dappling in all of the fields, we get familiar with lots of new topic areas. Yeah. All right. We're introducing something new, uh, a chat GPT generated question of the week. If instructional design was embodied as a superhero duo, what would be their names and what extraordinary powers would they possess to save the day in the world of learning? We did this together. So I'm going to let Ray go ahead, Ray. You can respond to this one. Thanks, Barbara. So it is our belief that in instructional design, instruction and design are very much intertwined. So we see them as a single superhero. And we would call this superhero the pedagogy pioneer. And this would really reflect the extraordinary abilities that instructional designers possess to blend course content emerging technology, uh, pedagogy, and design principles into a single learning experience. I think we just found our episode title. (laughs) Thank you for naming the episode. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, last question. As instructional designers, and I think instructional designers are totally underrated and underpraised for the work they do, creating order out of chaos, depending on who you're working with. So (laughs) let's think about your closets at home. Are they organized by color, outfit, and day of the week? Or might we find complete chaos? Oh, never. (laughs) To which of those? Never organized or never chaos. (laughs) There's other things in my house that are chaotic, but not my closet. Oh, no. I put all the pants together, all the tops together, all the jackets together. And since COVID, I have a very impressive collection of sweatpants. And I was telling Ray that when I, 30 years ago, I worked at JCPenney and when I put clothes on a rounder, I always put them on by the color wheel. So if you start, think of the color wheel, like start with yellow and then orange, then red, then purple, then blue. I just went around the color wheel because I thought that made it look pretty. The other thing I caught in there was, that's what they call those round, like clothing racks, rounders. Is that what those are? Yeah, rounders. I guess it could be along a wall. I just thought it looked nicer to have this nice progression of tones. Your idea was stolen because I totally saw that on the home edit only recently. Last season, the show, everything is organized by By color, color. just as you described. That should have been a a patented thing. That's another career for you, Barbara. Yeah, another (laughs) career. No money in it. How about you, Ray? Like Barbara, as an instructional designer at heart, I am very organized and my closet is organized, but... Um, primarily by pit swag. As Barbara mentioned, after COVID, we really gravitated to a, a fully remote working environment, and we have lots of pit sweatshirts, t-shirts, long sleeve, <laughs> short sleeve, and the like. So do you still find yourself working remotely, almost exclusively? My entire team is okay. remote. Yes. Okay. Uh, Not all of our institution is remote, but our online learning team is fully remote. Yeah, I think that's been a common, we haven't really talked about it, maybe the instructional design field or learning experience design area as much as some of the the industry folks are, but it does seem that has been a shift. If you went remote during the pandemic, you're still remote if you're in that learning design space. It has also allowed us from a recruitment perspective, find the best talent 
and many instructional designers can work remotely. So it's been very convenient and has also allowed us to attract very high quality designers. One of the greatest things about working remotely, and this is no reflection on my colleagues, it keeps you out of the drama that goes on in an office space and you can decide to jump in or jump out whenever you want to. I agree. He he meant no offense to me, but none taken, Brad, none taken. All right, we're going to move to a slightly more serious section, mostly just the focus of today's conversation, and that is your work on accessibility, which is so impactful and inspiring to us. When I got to know you you both online before we actually met for real. I was so impressed by your work and excited for this episode series and just can't wait to unpack the topic of accessibility. Accessibility is a hot topic in higher ed right now, but what happened in your lives that inspired you to get into this space and to pursue digital accessibility as a research and presentation area? Let me kick this off. It was for me about 20 years ago. And as an instructional designer, I was assigned to work with two faculty members who were in Gray School, the School of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences. And they were researching the accessibility, and actually, I should probably say inaccessibility Mm. of higher education websites. And they were using Bobby, if anybody has ever heard of Bobby, to evaluate the effectiveness of these online websites. And they were not accessible to people who had either vision or hearing disabilities. So that's where I became interested. That just got me right away. I I thought as an instructional designer, it was certainly my responsibility to make sure that course material was accessible. And my, my dream was always to create an online course where somebody with a disability did not have to disclose that they had a disability. They could just go through the course and take the course with everybody else and hopefully not even have to ask for accommodations because everything was proactively made accessible to them. What are the key differences between being an instructional designer today and 20 years ago? Technology, probably. Okay. When I started, I was responsible for creating organization out of chaos, but I did not build courses. I was primarily working with Word documents and just organizing things in Word documents. And today, I think most instructional designers actually, they do that, but then they take it another step further and they actually say, well, that's our unit. I'm not sure if that's a nationwide trend, but that's what I've seen. Yeah. I would add that it's even gone a step further that many of the design personnel that I've worked with as of recently also author interactive learning objects and some of the more uh, specialized and customized um, learning experiences beyond the learning management system. And it's probably so much more fun now because of all those tools that are available. More fun and more expensive. (laughs) Those things always go hand in hand, don't they? Terms that we throw around casually, accessibility, equity, inclusion, we throw those in together in sentences quite often. How would you define these terms and their impact on instructional design? You want me to take this one, Ray? Sure. You? Okay, let me just start with a couple terms here then. Diversity, I for you know, our purposes as we're working through our work, we think of diversity as just differences between individuals and groups. We just think of it as a very short, short definition. And inclusion as well. It's to us, it's active, it's intentional, it's engaging, 
it's ongoing engagement and for, for all students. And equity is the state of being just, impartial, or fair. So those are the basic definitions we start with. I think one thing that we get a lot of questions about is digital accessibility. What do we mean by digital accessibility? So we're mm. taking that subfield of web accessibility and considering digital accessibility as a part of that field. So what we want is that the ability of for all students to be able to navigate, to be able to understand all the electronic materials in their courses. So that includes the PowerPoints, the videos, the images, the podcasts, the multimedia, the documents, whatever electronic materials are in their course, we want them to be able to access those materials. And Barbara, I can jump in to look at what the impact is on instructional design. And we would say that course designers, including faculty, instructional designers, instructional technologists, have a legal and ethical responsibility to create materials that are accessible and that facilitate equitable access to learning for all students. And over the past 20 years, we have seen a greater emphasis and awareness of the need for digital accessibility. And the Universal Design for Learning framework has really been instrumental in proactively designing materials that are inclusive. When we look at how we apply those words in the field, we're using the Universal Design for Learning framework as one of our bases. I know that instructional designers are carrying this weight of trying to ensure that learning objects are universally designed and accessible. What would you say is the role or responsibility of the faculty member or some of the subject matter experts that you partner with? Is there a hope or expectation that they know as much uh, as an instructional designer when it comes to universal design? Is that what you wish that they knew? Or is there any kind of simplified, just general framework that they can follow or keep in mind that would make your life easier and the student experience better? To what extent do they need to be educated on this area of universal design? We both talk to faculty a lot, I think, about universal design for learning. And that's a framework that we encourage all faculty to understand. In both of our situations, in Ray's situation and my situations, we call it a white glove service in that we are building the course for the faculty member. So they have a partner as they go through this process who is able to talk to them when they submit an image, a table, something that needs a a little bit of extra massaging to make it accessible. They have a partner who can teach them how to make those things accessible, but it's ultimately the responsibility of the instructional designer who puts it into the learning management system to make sure that it is. Um, Of course, faculty are ultimately responsible for their course and they want their course to be, I don't think I've ever come across a faculty (laughs) member who was against doing something. They want their courses to be accessible. So I I think it's very much a partnership. And I would add, Barbara, that in many cases, the faculty members don't always have the technologies needed to ensure that their materials are accessible. So in some cases, there are very specialized tools that allow us to check and to remediate a document or a slide or an interactive learning object. And it's very important to have the tools in addition to having the knowledge or skill set 
Um, in the past year, we have seen at our institution a growing desire for training for faculty members in the vein of accessibility. Faculty members want and they desire to make their courses and their materials accessible, especially when they don't have the benefit of an instructional designer. In the field, there is a shortage of instructional designers, and many instructional designers are not partnered with faculty who are teaching a residential or a face-to-face -face course, but rather a hybrid or an online course. So faculty members who are teaching a residential course don't always have the benefit of a white glove service and a, an instructional designer who is authoring the content on their behalf. So it's important for them to be able to develop the skills and um, it's a timely process. Many, there are many strategies for faculty development in this area that we'll be talking about later mm -hmm. in the podcast, but there are opportunities for faculty to learn more. Some are free and some are paid opportunities, but it's certainly an area of growing interest. Thank you. I'll turn it over to Brad for the next question in just a second. But my motivation for asking was that even when instructional designers are engaged in the process of setting up the course, once a course is being taught, a faculty member may have the freedom or desire to post a video, like a reflection video or group assignment feedback or something like that. And then in the moment, they might not be paired up with an instructional designer because the course has launched. And if they're an adjunct faculty, might not know who to contact to to go over how to turn the closed captioning on or what other options need to be made available. So I think sometimes there's some slip ups that happen, myself included, just when you're already in the moment and you're teaching and you think, I'm not sure if I've checked the boxes of accessibility here or if I wanted to, if I would know how. So just trying to identify what kind of training is needed, what kind of faculty development is needed for folks who maybe aren't designing the courses, they're not the subject matter expert, but they find themselves teaching them and inserting learning objects and wondering if they're doing it well. So, well, everyone, we're going to pause here, but we'll be back next week on the Digital to Learn podcast for part two with Ray Mancia and Barbara Fry. We'll see you then. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.